Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Matthew Thomas on Paul's works of the law. Matt, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. Matt, where are you? So I am in Berkeley, California right now. Berkeley, yeah. California. Yep. Nice. Very nice. Well, you may be an Oakland A's fan because they're playing tomorrow, aren't they? <laughs> I believe so. I haven't had a whole lot of time to, to follow follow baseball these days, but this is the, the little snippets I get. I see that they're actually doing something. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I became aware of your work, and I, I don't recall exactly, but I have a feeling you wrote me and told me about what you were working. Is that correct? That's correct. So I had um, some more Zbeck sent me, when we had the book come out, they sent me a big, a big box of books and just said, hey, go on and send these out to folks. And so I was thinking, man, who, who would be interested in one of these? And I had you come to mind. And so I sent you a quick email and said, hey, would, would you be interested in one of these? And he said, yeah, go on and send, send one over. And um, then, yeah, that's, that's where it all got started. Okay, well, um, I, I've said a couple things on the blog about this book. I've talked to Matt personally. I've even talked to a couple of publishers. Um, I think that this is an outstanding uh, piece of work, and it's significant for both uh, our discussion of Paul today, I mean, in our world today, and in uh, Christian theology. So, Matt, I'm going to uh, ask some pretty open-ended questions, and you can talk at length and with some liberty. And if you're getting too obtuse, obtuse I'll just jump in and <laughs> try to calm you down. But uh, uh, my, my listeners um, of the Kingdom Roots podcast will know that we talk about the old perspective and the new perspective and the apocalyptic perspective and the importance of E.P. Sanders and Krister Stendhal and all these discussions, Jimmy Dunn and T. Wright, and the criticisms. Um, but what fascinated me about your book is that you kind of started out with a couple of these options and then kind of ran with it. So let me start right there at the beginning. What were the options uh, that you were encountering and wanted to sort of reconsider uh, for your uh, research? Yeah, that's great. So it's interesting. The way I got started on this, um, I mean, the way that even getting into this as a topic started, um, I think it was similar to, to Matt Bates' route, actually, in that um, I was listening. This is when I was, I was working at, a, at an inner city ministry in Oakland uh, just after, uh, was after my undergraduate. I was, um, I was listening to a, uh, this was N.T. Wright's Romans in a Week class the famous class he did at, at Region. And I heard him say at one point that, you know, faith and faithfulness are the same word. And so we're not really sure how to translate it. And um, for me, that, that everything stopped me at that point because I had always been raised thinking that, you know, faith is kind of one, one thing and, you know, faithfulness is sort of the opposite, it, a pretty strong kind of faith works dichotomy. So hearing that those were the same things, that just opened a whole new range of interpretive possibilities for me when it came to understanding what it was that Paul was talking about, which I, I hadn't really up to that point been able to figure out. 
And so that then brought up the question, well, what does works of the law mean then? Um, because it doesn't seem that it would, it would make sense if this word that we're using for faith also means, you know, faithfulness and loyalty, it would seem that works of the law wouldn't just be a, you know, you could say a common category of obedience. And so, um, so I started exploring that. I ended up going to, to, to Regent College and was, um, was, was, was working on this. And um, I was writing a, a paper that was looking at, on the, the question of works of the law. And so, you know, the new perspective, um, you know, on Paul, old perspective on Paul. So, you know, old perspective, seeing this is, you know, any, anything that anybody does to try to earn justification and try to, you know, on an individual basis, you know, earn salvation before God. And so, you know, good works is used synonymously with this. And then, you know, of course, the, the new perspective on Paul, which I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with, but, you know, Sanders done right saying, hey, this is a more circumscribed, you know, term that's here. So it's specifically talking about the Torah. And within the Torah, it's these things that, that always come up, circumcision, Sabbath, food laws. And when you're practicing these things, you're not trying to individualistically, you know, earn merit points before God so you can kind of, you know, climb the, the proverbial ladder. What you're, what you're doing when you practice these things is you're, you're becoming part of the Jewish nation because salvation is seen as tied in with the election of the Jewish people. So it's a, it's a communal significance rather than an individualistic one. And so I was, I was working on a paper on this and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, just figure out on my own, hey, how do you adjudicate between these two sides? And I was in the, the library at, at Regent College and I was open. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here. I want to yep. back, because uh, I know this is a, the next part is going to be the more exciting discovery phase. <laughs> when you learned from N.T. Wright that there is, there is no difference in the Greek word between faith and faithfulness pistis and pistuo you uh, you wondered if faithfulness if I, if i'm understanding you right you wondered if faithfulness might not mean much more than what works means is that correct i think the way i would say it is that the it, it seemed that the way that i had been taught the dichotomy as far as um i mean it, you could kind of say a, you know a believing versus doing dichotomy that 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 wouldn't map onto what Paul goes and gives you with, you know, pistis on the one side and in ergonomo on the other. If if pistis also means faithfulness, well, faithfulness, fidelity, that seems to seems to imply, you know, working. That seems to imply, you know, an, an obedience to it. And so, so there's an overlap, at least, between all of a sudden you're hearing from N.T. Wright, faithfulness is the same as faith at some level. Yep. Not that he wouldn't believe in an initial act of faith of trust, yep. but um, so if there's an overlap, then what's the radical distinction between faith and works? Exactly. That's the problem. So, all right, I, I'm sorry for interrupting, but now we're back at Regents Library <laughs> in the basement underneath that front facility on top of it that we walk on. Exactly. We're in the studying and what did you discover? <laughs> yeah exactly so i was standing in the in the reference stacks and i had pulled off uh calvin's commentary on romans and i'd opened up and i was looking at, at romans 320 at uh his interpretation of works of the law 
And he begins by saying, and he begins by distinguishing his position from the position of Origen, uh, Jerome, and Chrysostom, and saying, well, they, you know, they, you know, it's a matter of doubt, even amongst the learned, what the works of the law mean. Some take this to mean, you know, the ceremonies of the Jewish laws of so circumcision, Sabbath, and food laws, which the things that folks like N.T. Wright were saying, and he goes and names these, these three early church fathers, and then he continues on and he says, you know, what, what St. Augustine says, and he actually distinguishes uh, his own position from, from Augustine's either. And I'm, I keep reading on the page because I had, I had gotten used from taking uh, J.I. Packard's course, gotten used from reading Calvin that he always, he always brings the church fathers with him along, uh, along to a fight. Whenever there's going to be a fight, he always, <laughs> he always tries to bring, bring allies along to it. And I'm, I'm looking at this page thinking, am I, am I missing something here? Because he's, he's naming these church fathers who, you know, have a position which is distinct from his, which he's going and rejecting, but he's not going in and naming anybody who supports his own view on what works of the law are. And so I think to myself, boy, this is really interesting. I wonder if you were to, what if you were to look in, you know, the earliest church fathers who followed Paul and, you know, what would they seem to think that, you know, the, the works of the law work because we have this whole old perspective new perspective debate but i wonder i wonder if the words old and new actually really you know really work to describe these categories and so i just started reading i started in the beginning of the church fathers and i spent i mean initially the, the paper i think i spent maybe four or five days researching for you know the paper that became the, the seed of what turned into the dissertation but just found in all these early sources, what they were saying, it sounded like you had sent uh, N.T. Wright in a time capsule and sent him back to the first and second centuries. Um, and what we we're calling the, you know, the new perspective just seemed to be u- ubiquitous in all of these earliest interpreters that followed Paul. I mean, this is this this to me, Matt, was the uh, glory and the joy of reading your uh, your monograph or your dissertation. The published dissertation is that uh, what there's a little uh, kerfuffle scuffle going on that the old perspective people say their view is older and the new perspective people would say actually our the new view is actually older than the old view and and you come along and say okay in the second century we can call this the early perspective hmm. is, that, is that correct that's correct okay so so now we have the early perspective and it's it's the first century after the new testament that people are articulating a view that you would say is nearly identical in many ways with the new perspective and not the old perspective is that right that's correct what i what i try to do in the book is i try to show how you have variations um, among both the the old and new perspective ad- adherents, and so there's things that unite these perspectives, and then there's areas where you've got distinction between them. So if you're looking at you know what works are we talking about, and what you know what's the significance of you know practicing these, I think that the, the categories and the, the descriptions I gave you know er- earlier on for defining the old and new perspectives those hold pretty consistently. The, the theological logic. Um, is there's a lot of distinction there. And you find that even just between Luther and Calvin, but definitely between Sanders, Dunn, Dunn and Wright, 
And what, you know, what I try to show is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of areas, even when we're talking about the meaning significance of, of these works, where, yeah, that what we're calling a new perspective really is, you know, in reality, the old perspective and what we're calling the old perspective, you, you can't find it in these early, these early centuries. At the same time, I've tried to show, you know, there's, there's places where, you know, Sanders and Dunn, for example, and the way that they think Paul is reasoning, um, there's, there's, there's places there that, you know, they don't have any kind of correspondence in the, you know, early, early reception history. And, you know, while Wright is the, I think the figure whose, whose readings seem to be most fully substantiated by, you know, the, the, the early, early perspective material, I think it's, it's significant that Wright, I think, goes the farthest to try to incorporate old, old perspective concerns in what he's doing. And so, yeah, there's, I mean, definitely, if you're, if you're thinking of it in terms of, you know, the war between the old and new perspectives, when you line it up with early reception, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to choose one or the other, if it's a boxing match and you have to lift up somebody's, you know, arm at the end of it, I mean, the, the new perspective is clearly the winner here. But I, what I've tried to do is I've tried to, to present the material in such a way that you can get past, you know, the kind of the, the pugilistic, uh, you know, framework and mindset and say, hey, let's let's look at this early reception material and use it as common ground because this is, I mean, this is everybody's inheritance. And as, as a historical witness, this is material that's significant for everybody, regardless what what perspective you're coming from. Well, okay, so this this raises the question, and I think you've you've pretty much said this indirectly, but tell us a little bit about what your method was without this getting into a conversation that you would have only with a doctoral supervisor or something <laughs> the second century uh, who knows the second century. What what did you what did you look at to try to adjudicate this debate on uh, what did works of the law mean uh, in the uh, what, what should, how should we read works of the law if we pay attention to the second century? So what did you read? What did you find? Yeah. So um, as far as incorporating early reception material into, you know, New Testament interpretation, um, I think the person who's, who's really helped as far as giving a language to this is, is Marcus Bachmiel, who has, uh, he is a chair of uh, scripture at, in Oxford right now. And he, he goes and employs a methodology in showing that in, you know, in the first 150 years, um, following any sort of person or event, you have a, a period of living memory which extends where it's not simply just, you know, texts that people are referring to, but you've got people around who either knew, you know, knew the people involved or were around for the events or knew people are kind of the immediate sort of descendants of the people who had these memories. And so... He goes and he gives uh, he gives a language and methodology for showing hey how how it is that early reception can be uh, significant as as a historical witness and can can help us from an interpretive standpoint. We're trying to you know make sense of the, what the New Testament witness gives us in one one area or another. So what I did was I I looked at the first 150 years that you have um, in New Testament you know reception. So going from you know, from Paul up to, you know, about Irenaeus and around 180 AD. And what I did was I tried to search for anywhere that you had reception of the, of these, of these texts and interpretation of these texts. Now, part of the challenge that's here is that you don't necessarily get the phrase works of the law used a great, a great deal. It shows, it shows up in Irenaeus, 
there's a couple of places where it seems like you you have the reference there, but the word the wording might be slightly different. But then you know, then again, even if even if you had you know the, the phrase directly works the law, um, it's, it's about as general a phrase as you're gonna as you're gonna find. So you would need broader contextual clues in order to be able to identify. Yes, this is actually you know talking about what Paul is talking about. So what what I did was I, I had a sort of two part methodology. One was I, I went through every conflict that you had between Jews and Christians within the first 150 years of the church over law, works, and anything that is kind of operative within the context of uh, Paul's debates in Romans and Galatians, and just search for that, you know, broad, broadly. So to try to get a sense of what are, what are Jews and Christians actually, you know, having conflict in this period? So is it is it conflict over, you know, over good works? Is it conflict over... Do we have to become, you know, to become, you know, Jews to be part of God's people? And having gone and done a thorough search of all the material, what I what I did was I tried to then prioritize material which seemed to be clearly using, um, you know, using Paul's text. And so I have category A material, which is, you know, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, which they're clearly using actual verses that, you know, that where Paul refers to works of the law. Category B, which would be, you know, supporting evidence, are sources that, you know, that use, uh, that are clearly using Romans and Galatians and have, you know, similar context, but they're not using the actual phrase works of the law, or we're not positive that they're citing verses from Paul where he goes and talks about those. So you got uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Epistle uh, to Diagonetus, sources like that, Melito of Sardis. Then you have circumstantial evidence where you've got similar discussions to what's happening in Paul's context, but it's just unclear the usage of Paul that you have there. And so a source like, you know, Epistle of Barnabas, where some readers think, yeah, he's drawn on Paul. Other ones aren't really sure. You kind of use that as circumstantial evidence to kind of fill out, uh, you know, the, the picture. Not that, it's, not that it's irrelevant, but you just can't rely on it in the same kind of way. Mm -hmm. All right, now... I'm just looking through these uh, through the uh, table of contents. All right. In light of this uh, uh, delineation of texts that that were, are categorized A, B, and C, uh, what would you say are three or four of the major results or conclusions that you came to? And can you say that uh, in ways that everybody can understand? <laughs> Yeah. So, are you thinking sort of overall conclusions of the of the study itself? Yeah. Yeah. What 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 did you what what did this what what are the results that uh, that we got? I know we've you've kind of hinted at this and said a couple things, but let, let's go back and revisit. This. Yeah. Yeah. So, what what you find if you're thinking in terms of the meaning and significance of works of the law? What you find is that the early reception material seems to line up pretty uniformly with the new perspective is saying, and that the, the the conflicts within early Christianity and those that are you know or you have reception of these these texts from Paul, it's it's the specific works of the Torah that are the ones that are in conflict, and so circumcision, you know, food laws, Sabbath keeping, uh, dietary regulations. And the significance of, you know, practicing these things isn't an individualistic, I'm trying to earn merit before God. But the question is, do we have to, do we have to become part of the Jewish nation? Um, do we have to go under the Mosaic, Mosaic covenant? 
Um, so you have that as a, you know as a, as a first finding that it does seem that what we're calling the new perspective is actually quite old. When it comes to the, the question of why it is that these works aren't observed, so why is it that Christians don't have to go into observe these things, you've got you have a wide range of interpretation here. Um, there's it definitely coalesces around certain certain you know, certain groups of reasoning, um, but there's correspondence with the new perspective, and there's also areas where you you have some dis, you know areas of distinction with the new perspective, and so. One of the reasons that you find uh, that's given really consistently is that you know if Christ is the prophet like Moses, uh, if he fulfills this, you know these 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 prophecies, and if he has this role, well then naturally in in giving the new covenant, he's going to you know bring a new law with him. What he goes and institutes is going to be the new law. I mean that's what that's sort of what Moses does. He's the lawgiver, and so if you have a prophet like Moses, he's going to go and give a new law, and so. You know, as far as, you know, why early Christians go and say, you know, why don't you obey the Mosaic law? Why aren't you obeying the Torah? You, the, the very obvious answer is that Christ is the promised one. He's the, pro, he's the prophet like Moses. It's his law, which now goes and takes precedence in the new covenant, which he's gone and instituted. That, that reasoning is interesting. You actually don't find it. You don't find that really in either the old or new perspectives. Neither neither side really says that a lot. You get hints of it in um, in NT Wright's you know reasoning, um, but it's not ex it's stated explicitly. And I think that it's something that is valuable for uh, for New Testament scholars to to go to look into. So, for instance, when Paul is going and talking about the law of Christ and you know say uh, you know Galatians six two and uh, other other places, you get that. that there's actually a real tangible reference for this. Um, I would say a third, a, a third finding, and maybe I'll, I'll I'll pause with this one just so I don't go, go on for forever. Is that what's what's interesting if you're looking at, at these discussions is that yes, you're you know you you have these conflicts over works of the law, but eventually what you find the longer the discussions between Jews and Jews and Christians go on, you find that what you're really debating isn't about the works of the law at all. The, the root issue is actually the identity of Jesus and whether he actually is the Messiah. Because what you find is that even Jews of this period, if one takes, you know, Trypho as, uh, so, so Justin, Justin Martyrs has this debate with, uh, with Trypho, uh, a Jewish figure, around, you know, 150 AD. And they're debating back and forth. And uh, one of the things that Trypho and Justin end up eventually agreeing on is that, if Christ is the Messiah, if he actually is this promised, you know, the promised prophet like Moses, then yes, what he what he says will will constitute the new law. What he ordains will be the new ordinances that, you know, that everyone's supposed to follow. And so it's interesting what starts out as a discussion about works of the law then turns into a question, you know, a, a, a debate is, well, is he really the Messiah? Is he actually this, this promised, you know, prophet like Moses? Because if he is, then we, then you're right, we probably shouldn't be insisting upon the works of the Torah on the same, the same way. So it's interesting, the, the way that that can then, that insight, uh, I think it makes sense of passages in Galatians, for example, and gives you a sense of, you know, why is it that Paul gets, why does he get so angry <laughs> to, I mean, to put, to put it in a really, really just kind of frank way, um, you know, why is he saying that you're cut off from Christ? Why is he saying that I wish the people 
you know, who are forcing you to go back under the Mosaic covenant, you know, I wish they would emasculate themselves. I mean, you don't, you, you don't say that most, you know, most, most Sundays. And the reason is because to, to do that is to actually, in essence, to say, no, that he isn't the prophet like Moses. He hasn't instituted the new covenant. Um, yeah. we, we need to go back under the old one. It's to, design, it's, it's to deny uh, Christ's identity as, you know, the promised figure that everything's been leading up to. Well, this sounds a little bit, in some ways, is, is an echo of E.P. Sanders' famous statement that the problem with Judaism was that it wasn't Christianity. Mm. Um, it's a salvation historical argument, isn't it? Is that Jesus is the Messiah, and therefore um, Moses uh, Moses is not as permanent as we thought he was. Hmm. Yeah, is that right? No, I think I think that's correct, and I think that you can find that you know there's there's old there's old perspective interpreters who I think recognize the you know recognize the validity of this this kind of reading as well. So if you look in Doug Moo, for example. He looks at you know what figures like Sanders and you know Wright are saying with respect to the you know, salvation historical argument. And he says, yeah, this is a <laughs> this is this is there. This is a part of it. But he he's you know he then turns and says, but that's really subsidiary. It's really the you know it's 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 the anthropological argument, which is the most fundamental one. The fact that you know mm-hmm. nobody can observe the law perfectly, and so you have a, a permanent kind of you know faith versus works believing versus, you know, doing dichotomy then that results. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's how I've read Doug Moo over the years. And he was my colleague. And actually, he was a teacher of mine. I didn't take him for Paul. I had Murray Harris at that time. Hmm. But um, I, I do think, uh, Matt, that you're right, that the uh, not only on the big uh, big issue here, I, I read your thesis or your book, uh, the monograph when it came out, and I'd encourage I know it's expensive, but I would encourage uh, our listeners to get their seminary library, their college library, to buy this book so that uh, more of us can get this, uh, this these ideas out there. But uh, I, I found uh, your discussion of the early church very convincing, and uh, I agree with you, what you just said here, that at the root of the old perspective uh, or and some of the theological tension that they find— is an Augustinian anthropology, or at least an anthropological argument, that is not um, as prominent in Paul as, uh, say, the salvation historical or even the sociological tension that he feels with uh, over the law and with respect to Jewish believers. Mm-hmm. So, I I want to thank you, Matt, for uh, taking the time to be with us, but also for what I think is just a fascinating study that tries to adjudicate some of these debates that are going on uh, in Pauline studies by saying, hey, we can argue about Romans and Galatians till we're blue in the face, but let's let's look if maybe the second century doesn't shed some light on how this uh, was discussed. And I think, I think that's uh, one of the great things that you've contributed to Pauline scholarship, and I'm thankful for it. I don't know if Chaz has any questions, he's been sitting in the background waiting. Man, man. I just been <laughs> drinking from a fire hose over here. <laughs> it's been it's been great, and I guess I would just ask one uh, simple closing question, Matt. And it would be, you know, and on the podcast we talk about how the kingdom took root then, and my goodness, you've given us a wealth of information from your research on um, how people understood that in relation to the works of the law. I wonder if 
you have any insight from your work and how you see it impacting the church today? Oh boy. Um, Small question to end on, but <laughs> maybe a good one to wrap up our time together. Boy, that, that is, that is good. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was, uh, I was, I was uh, talking to my friend Charles uh, just about this and about his interpretation of works of the law. Um, and he was, because uh, he was saying one of the things that he finds is that he's, you know, he, he's used to talking about works of the law just as good works in general. And so he has, you know, there's a challenge he, he was saying and, you know, and trying to figure out how does this material go and relate to, you know, to, to your average, you know, he's, he's a high school pastor. How does it relate to your, your, your average high school student um, if works of the law are, you know, circumcision, Sabbath, you know, food laws because, you know, which like, what high school student is, you know, is really wrestling with these things. And it's, it's really, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not in high school, so I couldn't tell you. But at least when I was in high school, it wasn't what I was thinking about. Um, and it's, you know, if you, it's, it's a really good question. And there's, there's two things I would go, go and say, say to that. One is that if you have an Old Testament in your Bible, um, there are parts of the Old Testament that, that are there that you do not go as a Christian and, and obey in a literal sense. And that's, I think, a theological issue. Um, that's something that you want to have some reasoning for. Why is it that we have this regardless as the inspired word of God, mm-hmm. but we don't actually you know, obey this in a, in a literal sense? I think that these, these debates in this material has a huge amount to go into say to help us understand how you still have a unified plan that God has. Now there's certain things that are ordained for a certain period. Now, if you've, if you've sort of gone and unhitched the Old Testament, um, that, that might not be a, you know, a big concern for you. But if you haven't unhitched the Old Testament, if you kept that around, which I would, you know, as a side note, I recommend you do that, um, then this is, this is hugely relevant for understanding how we understand Scripture to all fit together. Mm-hmm. Now, the one other thing I would say is that, yes, on, on the one hand, these are the, the points that are, you know, the, the points in, in conflict between, you know, Jews and Christians. And what it seems like would suggest that Paul's conflicts are talking about. However, I think if one's thinking at least in terms of initial justification, you know, as, as far as how we first come to receive God's grace. Well, yeah, you know, this. The, the things the things that are under discussion circumcision sabbath food laws can you go and broaden broaden that out well i, I mean absolutely and that it's not like we're justified initially by you know by by other other works um we're, we're justified by god's grace it's his, his grace that goes and saves us and so if you think the analogy i always go to is um you know matthew 18 the, the parable of the unmerciful servant uh, we we all come with a big debt and we have nothing we can offer and so at least when it, you know, when we're, when we're thinking in terms of initial justification, receiving God's forgiveness and you know, receiving His mercy, uh, it's important to say, that, yeah, e- even though this is the, the particular, you know, focus. At least when it comes comes to that, it's not as though there's other works that are going to go and, you know, buy God's grace from from Him. Uh, we all, you know, we all come as as debtors in that sense, which I think is valuable to hang on to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wow. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, I'm going to include a link in the show notes where you can find the book on Amazon. I want to really encourage you, like Scott said, to to do that. And Matt, if somebody wanted to connect with you online or social media platforms, um, you got any good ways to be able to do that? 
Oh boy. Um, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've got a couple faculty pages, but there's not a whole lot of connection. I have uh, a Facebook, which is Matthew J. Thomas, but it's, I mean, I mostly post C.S. Lewis quotes and, um, you know, pictures of, you know, of my son eating spicy peppers and things like that. So if you're into either of those, by all means, um, you're welcome, welcome to connect. And I'm, I mean, I'm always, I love this material. So I'm always happy to, yeah, to chatter, answer, answer questions if there's any way I can be, be of use. Very great. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt, for being on the podcast. And thanks our listeners for joining with us today. We're grateful as always to have you. And um, again, I want to encourage you to check out Matt's book and all that he shares. And um, and also we'll include some of those links to other ways to connect with Matt that he mentioned. So uh, thanks again for being with us. And we look forward to continue our conversation next time as we continue the conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 